Well, good morning, Grace. Guess what today is? It's a Transformation Sunday. We have a class starting next week, 3 o'clock. Um, next Sunday at 3 o'clock, I want to invite everybody to be there. Some of you have taken it before already, and you're, you know that some of you have taken it two, three, four, myself probably 20 times because I teach the class, but I always learn something more. I always learn a deeper understanding of who God is and how I relate to that. See, class is always about God. It's not about us. Although, the more we learn about God, the more we learn about ourselves. So I really, uh, Tim and I and Sean and I, we were talking about this probably a couple months ago about doing something for transformation. Uh, We want to start really, it is the DNA of this church. It has been in this church for 20-something years. Uh, At times, it's been more prominent than others. And I struggled with, well, how do I take 20 hours of classroom and put it into 20 minutes? Now, that's a challenge because we talk about theology. We talk about um, psychology. We talk about sociology. We talk about all kinds of things in class. And we use um, reformation. We talk about transformation, obviously, sanctification, glorification. We use all the big words. And we try to determine what they mean so that we kind of understand them. We talk about mercy. We talk about grace. talk about how that gets applied in our lives. And so I thought, well, how do I talk today about transformation and try not to use those big words? Because sometimes we use words we we don't understand what they are. We don't know how we relate to them. So why would I throw that out at you and you just go, okay, well, that was a nice word, but I really don't know what it means. So I thought, well... What is the best billboard for what God has done? Us. Me. Uh, In this case, it'll be my testimony interwoven into transformation and how how God has interacted in my life for the last 50 years, and I didn't know it. I absolutely didn't know it until I took a transformation class and understood I want to tell you now, when you take this class, this is not a normal Bible study class. It is not. It will hit you between the eyes at times of things that you go, wow. Uh, I've had more people about week six mad at me (laughs) because of what they've learned. And we talk about sin, and we are confronted with sin, but that's where we can start that's when we start to really be able to go to God and say, I surrender. Here's who I am. I am not worthy. But yet he died on that cross and he rose again. And I I really, uh, one of the things that um, I really thought about was, how could I sum up what transformation is? And the phrase, and if you go ahead and put the first slide up, the next slide up, sorry. The the phrase that I came up with really had to do with... um, coming out of the tomb. Because we live on the cross. We live in the part of saying, I'm struggling, I'm hurt, I'm sinful. I, you know, where is God? Why is God doing this to me? Why am I going through this? Why am I hurting? Am I really a believer? I mean, we're always struggling with these questions of who am I? Where am I? Well, that's cross. That's on the cross questions. God is moving us to coming out of the tomb. He's always moving us so we can step out of the tomb. And now we can say, I am saved. I am blessed. 
I am different. I am called. I am chosen. Because God is doing that, not because Jim's doing that. If I was left to myself, I'd still be on the cross. Guess what? We can't get ourselves off the cross. It takes God getting us off the cross and saving us and raising us from the dead. We truly are dead until he raises us out of the tomb. So I put up some, some real technical stuff so that Tim would not get mad at me for not putting this up because he's the theologian of the, of the house. So I put up the, the Greek, uh, the meaning of the Greek, the transliteration. It's a verb, all that great stuff that theologians really not, like to dig into. So the, the verse that we use here is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, it'll be easier for me to read here because I'm trying not to wear my glasses up here. So I, wrote, I put everything in like 18 font so I could see it. So that's what happens when you get old. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a lot in that. A lot in that. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this privilege that we have to come before you today. Lord, we seek you. We seek your knowledge. We seek your understanding. We seek your healing and we seek your love. So, Father, today use my life as your mouthpiece. Lord, I lay it, I lay it open for you to use as your will. You are the one. This is really a, a testimony of what you have done and what you are doing. So, Father, use this to speak to lives. Bless this time that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things about transformed in this verse is that it is a verb. It's action. It's being done now. And the other idea behind this is that these people were transformed after being with. They were changed after being with is what the word really means in the Greek meaning that once they were there, they were now no longer the same. They were completely transformed. They were changed. And it's an ongoing process. It's not something that's the flash of an eye, although I think God could do that. Our God's a mighty God. He can kind of do what He wants. He owns it all. But in this case, He is constantly changing us. And so I always ask the question, why is He changing us? One of the reasons why... I don't know if you guys can see me with the lighting. We're still... We're still working on that. All right, sorry. I'll try to stay behind the podium for you. Oh, you can see me. Good. So one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons why we don't change in an instant is because we live life together. We go together. This church has transformed over 20 years. This church has transformed over, how long have you been, a year and a half? Almost two. It's changed. It's transformed. We're constantly in the process until we come to the day of glorification, which is the day of our death. We're now glorified. We teach all this in class to kind of understand the concept of where we are in this process and what does it mean to me. So the other thing that I thought was important is the word glory. Because we, it says um, the image from one degree of glory to another. So I was like, well, what is Glory. I mean, we use that word. I mean, we say that all the time in the church, but do we really know what that means? So glory, which is up there, says that it is, this is a noun, and this is God's opinion which determines value. 
So glory in this case is I'm being changed. I'm being transformed from glory to glory to glory based on God's definition, not mine. Based on what He says is valuable, not what I think is valuable. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many are here today, but I'll just say 80 people. There's 80 people different value systems in this building. Now, we're all similar because we're Americans, we're, we're believers, we're sitting in this building, we live in Lakeland, those kind of things. But at the end of the day, we still have 80 different value systems. This value system is contingent on what God says is valuable, which is really the mark we should be at. So I am being changed, transformed from one glory, maybe it's my thought, to what he says is glory, to what he defines as glory over the course of my life. That's what transformation is. And it's being changed from the inside out. It's God changing me. It's not me changing me. It's not me jumping through hoops. I'll be no more saved coming into church every time these doors are open because if I think that that's okay, it's not okay. It's not good enough. I can never act good enough to be saved. Never. I don't care what it is. I could be out being a missionary into a foreign land. I could give millions of dollars every year. I could be at the church every time the doors open. I could memorize scripture. None of that saves me. Only God saves me. Because of his value system, not because of my value system. So we talk about reformation. We talk about transformation. We talk about works. We talk about grace. And we try to see how that really applies in our life. So next slide, please. I don't have a clicker, so I have to bear with me. So these are the two. You know, when God starts asking questions, sometimes I think maybe we ought to pay attention to what the question is. So in the first verse, this is Genesis 3.9, it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, don't know if you remember this. This is in the garden. This is right after Eve had taken the fruit. We always say it's an apple, but we don't really know what it is. She took a bite, said, Oh, that's pretty good. Handed it off to Adam. He says, Mmm, wonderful. You know, the serpent was there. I'm paraphrasing all this, so don't go reading into this. So, The serpent was there and pretty much said, Hey, look, this is going to be good. What do you mean God doesn't want you to have this? So they took and they eat. Well, then guess what? They knew they had sinned. They knew that they had done what they wanted to do. And they, now they hid and covered because of shame and guilt. Now we spend a whole week on this because guess what we do today? We hide and cover because of shame and guilt. We do this. It's been passed down for every generation since Adam and Eve to us. And we talk about these things. What does that mean to us? Many times we wonder why we do what we do. It's because of this right here. Because of sin that's all around us affecting us every day. We end up feeling guilty. We have shame. Then we hide ourselves. And we cover ourselves with lies of the enemy. We tell ourselves lies so that we can cope with looking in the mirror in the day. How many of y'all can look in the mirror really and say that you love you? You don't need to raise hands. Because I know that's difficult. It's very difficult. The next question up there is from um, John 5, 6. And this is where Jesus goes into the pool. And a lame man has been there for 30-something years. And 
He obviously can't walk. He keeps trying to get down into the pool because they believe the angels stir the water. Anyway, Jesus says, but the Lord, I'm sorry, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, obviously he's been in the temple, so Jesus went and visited. He'd see see him all the time. He says, do you want to be healed? Now, these are some pretty simple questions. Where are you and do you want to be healed? But I'll tell you what, when God asks those questions, they no longer become simple. No longer become simple. Because those questions penetrate through everything that we build up in our lives. And at that point, they now become real to us. And God is always asking these questions. So, simple question. When God is asking questions, they are not simple anymore. They, are, they have deep spiritual psychological, economical, social, physical, and educational meanings. How we answer, or even more importantly, possibly, when we don't answer, the impact of those questions on our lives. Sometimes we don't even know we're answering the question. But these are the questions that we all answer every day of our life by our actions and what we do. So back to what I said earlier. How do I talk really about transformation? I think sometimes it's easier to to use our own life. I think that's why God allows us to have a testimony. So part of my testimony, I'll I'll talk through it. I'm not going to give you every detail. We'd be here for 50 years because I'm 52, so it would take us a while. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to skip over sections that I think are important. When I teach the class, I use my life a lot. I talk about what God has done for me and where I'm at in my walk with Him. I'm always on a journey with Him. Even being up here this morning is on a journey with Him. It takes faith. I don't know how many of y'all get to speak in front of people. But it takes faith to even put something together to get up here to, to either play or sing or talk or be in front of you. It takes obedience and relying on God to get you through this than just have a natural ability to do it. I don't want to be in front of people. I'd much rather be behind supporting who's in front of people. I'm much better. That's my personality type. So for me to be able to get up here, it's really about relying on God. It's not about Jim. It's really his power that, that motivates me, which is why I teach the class. It's, it's what I've experienced through him is why I teach. It's why I went back to school. It's why I stand here today. So part of... Part of growing up, I, was, I grew up in Lakeland to a certain degree. Mom and dad divorced when I was about age 13 or so. And mom was from Wachula. I don't know if anybody knows where Wachula is. I know somebody does. but We call it Chula just for a uh, simple sake of... And it's a loving, enduring term that we use for Chula. <laughs> um, but anyway, I went to high school there. We joined a church down there, First Christian Church of Wachula. Um, non, I, see, I think it's non-denominational. It doesn't really matter. The, um, so I went from living in Lakeland, which is, some of you may think we're a little backwoods in Lakeland, but Wachula is really backwoods. So I went from up here in junior high to moving down there in ninth grade, starting high school. It was a huge culture shock. I didn't even own a pair of jeans, by the way, when we moved there. I had to really figure out who I was. So all of a sudden, my parents get divorced. My dad leaves the house. Mom had to sell the house because I have a single mother. I have a sister that's eight years younger than me. So now she's a single mom raising two kids with no income because she didn't have a job. So she moved to Wachula, moved us to Wachula. Now we live with my grandmother 
you don't know my grandmother, but my grandmother is not easy to live with. Uh, she's no longer here. She's passed on. She's with God now. She was a godly woman. Mom uh, was a godly woman. We grew up in the church. and Fortunately, that was our base in Wachula. That's what helped me get through it. But I was confronted with these questions all the time, and I didn't even know it. So it was moments in life where God was asking, where are you? And do you want to get well or do you want to be healed? And I didn't know it. At age 13, trying to figure out who I am as a boy with a father that now is no longer in the house, a mother and living with a grandmother that was, I can, I'll say this in a loving way, somewhat of a tyrant. That's very loving. So I mean that in a good way. Because without her, we'd have had no stability. She dictated what we did and where we went and how we did it. And uh, Also, by the way, my first year in high school, I broke my ankle. So now I'm on crutches, brand new to a high school, went from junior high. To, I mean, you talk about the things of a crossroads in your life, that was it. If anything could happen that wasn't good, it was happening to me. And I didn't understand it. I didn't know it. Most of us, including myself, I was trying to survive. I was just trying to get through the day. I was just trying to survive ninth grade as the new kid in school. I was trying to survive as a grandson on a driveway that was dirt, that was a quarter mile, where the bus dropped me off with a broken leg trying to get to the house. I was trying to survive now living in poverty. I was trying to survive not seeing my father every day of my life. I was trying to survive with a single mother that really didn't have time because she had to work to support us. So there was a crossroads. These crossroads come into our lives for a purpose. And sometimes we don't see them. Sometimes we don't interpret them that way. And we all have them. There's times as I'm sitting here talking now, you can go back and remember a crossroad in your own life where tragedy crossed over your life and it changed it forever. My life was changed at age 14 and didn't know. I was set on a path of using sin to comfort myself because it hurt so much. And I didn't know any better. Nobody around me knew any better. It was normal as a young boy. You need a man up. You're the man of the family. You're the man. You're the only man in the household now. Now, there's some great attributes to that, but there's also some sin that goes along with that. And we never see that two-edged sword cutting both ways. You just accept it because of our culture and our society and growing up in Wachula. There's a, there's a lot there culturally that is required of a small-town boy trying to be a man. Certain ways to act, certain ways to talk, certain things you do. And it's culturally okay, especially in high school, especially there. I mean, it's here too, but... Those were things that were coming at me, and I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to be accepted, and I'm trying to be loved, which is really the core of what we are all seeking, love and acceptance. From the very beginning, we have been trying to be loved and accepted unconditionally, and we look everywhere for it, but where we can truly get it. Even in our parents' which they can't truly give it to us. It is really the parent's job to be the small g God to their children and introduce them to the big g God. 
And we as parents fail because we think we need to give them everything to be happy at times. We end up spoiling them. And really, spoiling them doesn't help them. We can't give them. We can't enable them. But we also can't deny them. We can't deny the love and acceptance of what we can give, but I can only give as much as I was given or as much as I understand, which is why it's critical. And I can't emphasize this enough because I, I do counseling as well. The biggest issue is people trying to be loved and accepted and getting it all in the wrong place. Either from boyfriends, girlfriends, jobs, sin, money, prestige, you name it. That is the core of what we're trying to do. Now, I didn't know that at 14, and nobody around me knew that. You know, something to remember this. Before we are saved, we have no choice but to sin. Absolutely no choice. Now, I do this in class. I go around and I say, when, when, did, when were you saved? So, except for one class that was the exception to the rule, <laughs> every class is in their 20s. Usually the a- average age of salvation is somewhere around 23 to 25. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Up until, let's just say 25. Up until the age of 25, what choice do you have to never sin? None. That is your only hope to feel better. Or, maybe important, to not hurt. See, there's a difference between feeling better and not hurting. And at 25, you're now saved. Now you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Now you have the power of God. You have grace. The power of grace to never sin again. You are fully equipped with everything you need to never sin at that moment and point. But guess what happens? And this is where most of us fall as believers. We still sin. So why do we keep sinning? Well, for 25 years, how did you learn to cope? Whatever the sin is, whether it's pride, gluttony, sloth, lust, anger, whatever it is, You've used that for 25 years to cope with your hurt, your pain, your wondering. It now becomes what I call learned behavior. It's tested and true. It it helps you not to feel the pain anymore. You may not feel good, but you still don't feel the pain. Now all of a sudden you're saved, and now people are saying, "Well, well, why are you acting that way? Why do you think that way? Well, you've been trained for 25 years. God now is going to train you for the next 25 years. And I say this all the time. The first 10 years of life will dictate the next 50. The first 10 years of life will dictate the next 50. So part of transformation takes us back, not to live there, but to understand where we're at today. Because a lot of that back life is why you're doing what you're doing today and the decisions you're making today and the life you're living today. And I had the same thing. So in my life, I got saved at 16. I accepted Christ when I was uh, 13. When we moved to Wachula, I didn't even know what that meant. We just went to church. Pastor said, hey, you want to be saved? I said, yeah, sure. If I could, yeah. You know, you're a boy. You don't know. You're just, you barely can talk. You're, just, you're hiding behind your mom. Go, I guess. <laughs> got baptized. But really at 16... I really understood who Jesus was all of a sudden. 
It was an awareness. It was an awakening, maybe, is a good place. So God was saving me between 13 and 16, making me aware of who he really was in my life. So got saved as a junior. Uh, ended up going to Bible college in Orlando. Um, since, uh, see, I can't remember the name of it now. Central Florida Bible College, CFBC. They're now, I think they changed their name probably, I mean, that was... That was a long time ago, <laughs> 30, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. They changed their name after about 10 years. They're Central Florida, um, I don't know what they're called. Florida Bible College, I think, is their name now. Interestingly enough, though, I went one year. Now, I moved from Wachula to Orlando at 18 and went to college. Now, how many of y'all have moved from your hometown to a bigger town at 18, or went off to the military. And how many of y'all survived that? Because I didn't survive that. I, it was another culture shock. It went from a small town, close-knit, boundaries-driven, to all of a sudden... Oh, and the drinking age was 18 at that point, too, by the way, not 21. All of a sudden, what boundaries were in place? None including my roommates. I had three roommates. So, bottom line was, I was asked to leave the college a little over a year later because of drinking and partying. (coughs) Went home, of course, felt rejected. And, of course, you know, I brought it all on myself. It wasn't their fault. They had rules. I got caught. They said bye. I said okay. Got home. (laughs) It it really wasn't that easy, but (laughs) but I had to go home humiliated, you know, and and tell my mom I failed. And it was tough. I had to get a job. It was tough accepting the fact that I had a problem, although I didn't know what the problem was. I didn't understand. I thought it was just what we did at 18. Go out and drink and have fun and party and hit all the clubs and uh, just all kinds of craziness that I look back now and I go, what a waste that was in my life. I ended up going to a trade school Learned telephony. Uh, that was probably about the age of 20 or so, 21. Uh, now, I'm thankful that I got to go to this school. Uh, the school. The state paid for it because we were, we were poverty-stricken. Lived in a single-wide trailer. Mom with one income, raising two kids. It was, it was tough. We couldn't do things. I had to go make money to be able to go do anything. And the church many times would, uh, would scholarship me to go do things. So... That's how I ended up going to do things in the youth group because I couldn't pay for it. <clears throat> so you had to humble yourself then too because now you don't have money to do anything. So that was a hurt that I was having. Um, anyway, go to, I go to trade school with grants from the state. Went in. It was like a natural. It, part of my personality is engineering. is part of my personality. Being a lawyer and being a counselor are also part of all that. But uh, I really took to telephony understood how the circuits are built. I understand how things went together. They got me my first job. My first job was with Butler Telecom, traveling the continental U.S., <clears throat> building central offices. That's where dial tone is created, and it is connected to your house. So you have telephone back in those days. Today, it's Internet and everything else. But here's the downside, and we've already ta- I've already told you part of my story with being in college was I'm 21 years old, traveling the country, 
making roughly $1,500 a week. Yeah, some of you are shaking your head. You're exactly right. That was a really bad combination. Now, was I saved? Yes. Was I in sin? Yes. Was I enjoying myself? Yes. See how dangerous it is? See how dangerous it is? I ended up, uh, I had a girlfriend in Orlando that got me a job in Orlando uh, to get off the road, which was good. I, there was some, someday when you have time, we'll talk about some of my road experiences at that time in my life. I don't know why I didn't die probably two or three times with things we were doing. But moved to Orlando, got an apartment in Orlando. She moved in, and things were good. I wasn't making 1500 a week, but I was making about eight or 900 a week at that time. And we're talking, you know, 30 years ago. That was pretty good money. And I had an apartment that cost me like $400 a week. I, lived, I, my, I was right by the pool. I, you know, I lived in Orlando. I had everything I wanted. Then my father died. Now, I had had a pretty good relationship with him even through the divorce and would go see him and spend weekends and things like that. But at this point in my life, the only time I would go see him really was to brag about what I was doing. So I didn't have... I thought I had a deeper relationship with him, but I really didn't. I really didn't have that... Dad, here's where I'm hurting. Here's where I need your help. What do you think? It was always, I knew better because you divorced mom and he had remarried and I have a stepsister and things. But anyway, he passed away. And I had made the decision. And today, I, don't, I couldn't tell you why. It was divine providence. But he, my stepmother had called me and said, look, your father is passing blood in his urine. Went to the doctors and they said he has three months to live. What? He couldn't even tell me that. So I made the decision that every weekend, I, would, I lived in Orlando, he lived in Lakeland, I would drive down and spend the weekends, take care of the house, mow the yard, whatever I needed to do. And I don't know why I did that. Today I couldn't tell you, because that's very unselfish, and that wasn't like me. The only thing I can contribute that to is it was a crossroads again. It was that moment in life where you run into that tragedy that now you have a choice of which road you're going to take. And I took the road to spend time with my father. Now, today I'm grateful. At that time, again, I was trying to survive. The moment, the situation, I, I didn't know what to do. I was 22, 23, 24 years old. I was, uh, you don't, you're not ready for some of that. You don't know. You don't have a deeper understanding in life. You don't understand why God's doing what God's doing. You just know you're hurting. So anyway, I spent time with him. He passed away. Uh, we did the funeral. So it created, at this point, I had poverty. I had my father. I had moving to Wachula. I had all of this that was creating these hurts inside of me that I didn't know what to do with. And I kept using the sin that I had learned over the years to medicate. So some of the sin was greed. Some of the sin was pride. Some of the sin was anger. Some was lust. Some was all these things 
that you don't know that you're just saying, I need to feel better. Or maybe more importantly, I'm tired of hurting. I just need something to numb me. So we would go out and drink. I would get angry at people and, and thought I was better than most people instead of dealing with the real hurt. That was how I dealt with it. That's how I coped with it. So then, after my father died, I had a reality check again. It was a crossroads. I said, you know what? I need, I need to get my life right. Life's too short. I don't want to live like this. I don't even know where my life's going. So I kicked the girlfriend out. So I was done with you. Uh, decided to get back into church. Ended up meeting my first wife at that time. And we ended up getting married. Um, we weren't we were going to church, but really wasn't going to church. And so I remember one day sitting there, and I said, you know what? Again, I don't know why I did this. Uh, this is only God intersecting in my life and not knowing it. Is God, I said, we have either got to commit to church or completely get out. I'm tired of this. Let's visit here or there. Let's be lukewarm. Either let's go full tilt or let's just walk away and do what we want. I'm tired of it. And so we decided to go. And we went to the church that she had grown up in and been part of. And we ended up getting married in the church and that pastor married us. And so we went along for 16, 18 years. So somewhere in that end of that, uh, I, you know, I don't know how long we were married for before we had our daughter. <clears throat> and so we had her probably, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to calculate that because I don't think about those days that much. So we had a daughter. Um, and somewhere around, um, so I was married at 25 and 90, 89. <clears throat> we started attending Grace in 94, in February of 94. In February of 94, my daughter was born. She was born two to three weeks after we started attending here. And there were six other, I'm sorry, five other women pregnant. The church grew that year by six, so... <laughs> That's a way to grow the church, Pat. I'm just saying that right now. It's proven. You, you, you lead the way, brother. Yeah, I'm done, brother. <laughs> Actually, Karen says, I'm done. <laughs> um, attended church, um, became an elder, a teacher of the church, and I was faithful in my attending. I was faithful in my tithing, was reading the Bible, uh, worshiping. I, was, I ran sound and lights during that period. I didn't play on the worship team yet. Um, doing a lot of church activities, being a leader. I, had, I opened a company uh, doing communications because I had carried on my career in communications. I had a company for about 13, 14 years during that period. And then all of a sudden, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but I'll say it that way. In May of 98, I was 34 years old. I was on a job site down in Fort Myers, and I got a phone call. And I got a phone call from a friend of ours, and she had taken my first wife to the doctor and found out she had a brain tumor. Now, we had a four-year-old daughter. I had a company with about 20 employees. I was three hours away, and you find out that your spouse has a brain tumor. And they want to do 
emergency exploration the next day. This was on a Thursday. They were going to do uh, a biopsy on Friday to determine what was going on with the tumor. So, of course, made it record time from Fort Myers to Lakeland. Went to the doctors. One thing I forgot to mention, when, when they diagnosed my father, they, they, had a, uh, they went in to take his kidney out. And when they opened him up, he was just riddled with cancer. And so they just closed him back. They never took anything out. But they came to the waiting room and told us that he had three months to live. And we were sitting there just devastated. Because going in, he walked in, but he had to be carried out. So now, I have a spouse that's going in for surgery. So they do the biopsy. They come into the waiting room. Pull me aside. Now, I, at that time, one of the sister-in-laws was a nurse, so she was sitting with me and said, well, here's how it looks, and started labeling off the percentages of what could happen, and we could not do anything, and she'll die within months. Uh, if we operate, it'll be this percentage that she'll have brain damage. This percentage, she'll die on the operating table. Uh, if we do nothing, she's gone. So what do you want to do? Yeah. I said, well, there's not really a choice. If we do nothing, she's dead. We have to operate. Well, we're going to do it tomorrow. It's that aggressive. And that would be on a Saturday. And that point, I don't know if Lakeland's like this anymore, but they don't do surgeries on Saturday unless they're an emergency. So they operated on her, took the tumor out. The next 30 days, she did uh, um, radiation. And for the next two years, chemotherapy. Uh, not two years, I guess, probably a year. And um, it was tough. It was really tough. But what had happened was it had changed her personality. And at the time, I didn't know all this stuff. I do now. And our marriage got worse and worse and worse because I was still viewing life through my own hurt and my own sin and my own problems that I had never coped or dealt with. I was coping, but I never dealt with through God And here I was, an elder in the church. I was teaching classes. I was worshiping. I was attending. I loved God. But I had all this pain and hurt and sin in my life, and I didn't know what to do with it. And um, so uh, January, it all kept getting worse and worse. Um, Part of doing all this is I was hiding the pain and the hurt, which all this hurt that I was having was... Me now choosing sin in my life to cover or to cope or to medicate myself. So the things that I didn't do is I I didn't meet her needs. She had needs. She had hurt. She had pain. She had physical problems, and I wasn't meeting those things. It all kind of looked like I was, but I wasn't because I was sick myself. I just didn't have a physical illness. I had an emotional illness and a spiritual illness. Now, she had those too. We were both broken. It wasn't that I was more or her was more. We were all broken at the time. So I didn't love and accept her unconditionally. I put conditions on it. Now, she did that with me too. We fed each other very negatively in that way, as a matter of fact. I also had fear. Here, the last time that this had happened, my father passed away. So understand that the abandonment issue that I was facing was real. I had, been moved, I, had, I had been moved from Lakeland with all my friends to Wachula, abandonment, 
We now, my father had left the home, abandonment. My father had died, abandonment. Now I have a spouse that, for all, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, abandonment. Emotional abandonment. I had all that on me, and yet I was still doing that to her. Hurt people hurt people. So I was hurting her, and I was being hurt, and it was, it was ugly at times. Can't tell you how many times we said, okay, we're done with each other. At least a half a dozen times said, get out, or I'm leaving her. And we didn't, for whatever reason. But that didn't last. So in 2008, January, um, I was out in the office working. I had an office back behind the house, and she came out and got me, brought me into the house. And Pastor Ken was there, and her brother was there, and... She was there, and she told me, pack my bags and get out. She was done. So I was mad enough that I went and packed my bags, and I left. I said, I'll teach you. How'd that work out? Not so well. So over the course of about two years, divorce is not easy, nor is it simple. So don't kid yourselves. Went through a divorce that wasn't pretty. Um... At that time, Rachel was probably 14, 13, and uh, she struggled too. Children always suffer the rest of their life from divorce. Don't kid yourself. I am a, an adult child of divorced parents, and it still affects me. At 52 years old, I still feel that. So that was a tough, tough time. So where was I? Remember the question Jesus is asking? Or God was asking, Adam, where are you? Where was I? Well, I was hurting. I felt abandonment, unloved, lost identity. I wanted to lash out to protect myself, especially against those that were hurting me. I was asking, why me? I'm a believer. Why me? I'm a leader in the church. Why me? I was fearful of tomorrow. I was fearful of the unknown. I had a lot of anger because I felt so disrespected and left on the side of the road dead, both by the church and by my family. Not my mom and sister, but by my in-laws. Now, was all that true? No, it wasn't true, but that's how I felt. I was frustrated with this process of divorce. I was frustrated with what people thought of me because there was a lot of innuendos made that were not true. And yet, I couldn't fight them. What could I say? So I was very frustrated and hurt in that moment. Now, where was I truly in life? This whole time, every, everything from when I accepted, in all honesty, God chose me before the foundation of the world. So even as a child, where was I really? Well, where I was was in God's grace and didn't know it. Never used it. God's love, and not just love, agape love. Unconditional, I am actively engaged in your life love, whether you like it or not. Didn't know it. Because it didn't feel like it. God's forgiveness. I had God's forgiveness and didn't know it. I had His calling on my life through His Son. Didn't know it. Didn't feel like it. How do you feel called to get divorced? 
How do you feel called to feel abandoned? How do you feel called to your parents passing away? How do you feel called in all that? Those are tough questions. God's mercy. I sure enough didn't feel like I was having mercy on me because it was hurting a lot. And God not leaving me. Knowing and learning and living are three different things. And knowing that God never left me was a revelation. I can remember having a discussion in that room. Still hurts. By the leadership of this church. Being accused of things that hadn't happened. And having no idea where to go. Having a wife that had kicked me out. I remember driving down to the airport, sitting in the parking lot, and just asking why. Where are you? Why me? And not getting an answer. It was very, very difficult. Talk about a crossroads of life. Talk about God asking, where are you? And Jesus asking, do you want to get well? It was tough. You know, one thing to remember, you may still have a lot of pain. I still have pain from that. But that doesn't mean I'm not healed. It just means I feel it. I had surgery on my hand years ago. I can still feel it. And by the way, I have a scar there. But you know I can still play guitar. Our emotions are the same way. I have a scar where I've been hurt. But I can still function. I can still know that God loves me. I still know that He has not abandoned me. And He didn't abandon me that night sitting in there or sitting at the airport. He never abandoned me, even though I didn't feel Him around me. But I was never abandoned. Bring up the next slide, if you will. So what we do in class is we go through a heart chart. And this is kind of a simplified one. And we talk about the symptoms. We start learning our symptoms. So my symptoms, we always ask the question, where's the symptoms coming from? My symptoms were anger. I was a workaholic, perfectionist. I was displeased with other people's actions, behaviors, or their production. I thought I was better than others. Those are what you would have seen or experienced. That's what my spouse's complaints were to me. And she was right. She was absolutely right. Where did the hurts come from? Because those symptoms isn't the problem. Your symptoms are not the problem. My hurt was parents divorcing, moved to a different location, poverty, father passing away, and then health issues with the first wife. 
those were all deep-rooted hurts. And of course, I would, there's other thing, you know, we have hurts all the time. God never said we wouldn't have them. So what sin in me choices that I have? Now, there's seven we talk about. We spent a whole week on talking about sin. But pride, anger, greed, envy, lust, gluttony, which is appetite. So gluttony can be many things, not just eating, but it can be you need more of everything. And sloth, which is irresponsibility, not taking responsibility. The blame game, so the people. I had pride, anger, and greed. So I would use sin to comfort myself so that I would not feel the pain or hurt. I didn't necessarily feel better. I just didn't feel bad. There's a difference. And then I did not feel loved and accepted. So I would protect myself. I'd put these boundaries up and say, uh, you're not getting any closer. There was only a few people in my life that got close that I felt like I could trust. But even then, there were times that there was a facade playing a game of who am I. So, bring up the next slide. So I always ask the question, and this is really the challenge, because these questions you have to say, when, when God says, where are you? He's not asking physically where you're at. He's asking, where are you in your life? I didn't, I didn't know where I was. I went through all of that not knowing where I was. So then when he says, do you, want to get, do you want to be healed or do you want to get well? I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what wellness looked like. And it scared me to think, well, what have I got to do to get there? How many of you all been to a doctor and they said, well, we're going to have to operate? You know, Karen had her knee operated on back in June, and it was painful. It was tough. It's still kind of tough on her. Sometimes to get healthy doesn't mean it's going to feel good. Matter of fact, it's probably going to hurt because it hurt to get unhealthy. It's probably going to hurt to get healthy. So I didn't know what it looked like, and I was scared. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I can handle that. So I had to ask that question. All right, Lord. I'm divorced. Don't want to be divorced. Do I want to be healed? Do I really want that? Because up to that point, at the divorce, my life was falling apart. My identity was shot out. I don't know how many of y'all have been through divorce, but all of a sudden you go from being married and a father to not knowing who you are, now you're single. Our society is not set up for singles. It is set up for couples. So now you've got to go grocery shopping, you go out to eat, you do all these things that are now you're like, I'm lost, I don't know what to do, I don't like this feeling even. I'm scared. I don't want to be here. So I didn't know what it meant, but I knew I couldn't keep living the way I was. It hurt too much. What does healing look like? What does that process look like? And what is the result of healing? Because you say you want to be healed, but what does that look like on the other side? So in class, this was probably a little over a year ago, we, we do the uh, heart chart for all of us, and we talk about it. In the level three class, we get into... Uh, case studies. But something happened one day, (laughs) and we did a heart chart on Jesus. And all of a sudden, I realized what healing looks like. 
all of a sudden I realized what transformation really is. It's taking, go back one, go back one. It was taking me from this, now go forward one, to this. What's Jesus' symptoms? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What hurt did he have? He was mocked, ridiculed, abandoned by family and his disciples, betrayed, leaders hated him, wrongly accused, convicted, and crucified. I haven't been through all that. Jesus had a lot of hurts, deeper than what I had, actually. Did he sin? No. Why? He, he, had, he had all the hurts to sin. If, you had, if, if we'd have had this and said, look, man, you need to go do whatever you've got to do to cope with what's happening in your life, some of us would have probably done that. Matter of fact, we might have even helped him. But he had no sin. That's because Jesus used the power of grace to not use sin to comfort himself. And more importantly, now that's, that's a biggie because we talk about this in class, but the biggie is this. He knew that he was loved and accepted by God the Father. That's something I didn't know. We hear it in here. We preach it from this. Tim's great at preaching transformation. In fact, I'm very proud of the fact that we found a man that God directed a man to us that's a transformational pastor. But it's one thing to hear it sitting in your seat and living it out there. That's what happened to me. I was an elder of this church, and I still didn't understand what that meant to be totally loved and accepted. I'm still learning today what that means. To be loved and accepted by God in a way that I can endure the hurt and the sin people against me so that I don't turn to sin. I'm still going to have hurt and pain. I still remember the hurt and pain. But now, I have God in my life. So let me update you on where I'm at today. I have a great wife. Karen and I have been married five years and two months. That's close. I was a little... Careful, exactly. Um, I could not have asked... God for a better wife. She completes me, loves me unconditionally, and supports me in what I do and where I go. We are a team. I love spending time with her. I love doing things with her. Um, I would have never imagined being married would be so good. Couldn't imagine that. So God has blessed me more than I deserve because of that. I have two stepdaughters. Times can be challenging, but I still love them. And in a funny kind of way, they love me. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. They do love me. Um, I catch them in the right moments, and they're like, yeah, we appreciate what you're doing. (laughs) And, of course, I have Rachel, my daughter, which is the middle daughter. Love her to death. She She is... you know, it's been a little challenging with her, 
in the last couple months because some of the hurts are coming to the surface. I've been trying to deal with that with her. So even with uh, three adult children, I still get to be a father. We were talking about this at the men's breakfast yesterday. That never stops, guys. We are always fathers. And I have a three-year-old grandson from the oldest daughter, and he is just a ball of energy. A ball. I'm glad we have an 18-year-old in the house and a dog to keep him going because neither one of us can do that. So I thank God for that. Also, I'm an elder here at Grace Church. Uh, I have the privilege of working with these leaders and men and women. I've been here for 22 years. I've seen a lot with this church. was here when the building was built. So if you're always wondering why we did something, I probably have the answer why we did what we did. At the time, it made sense. Today, it may not make any sense, but then it made sense to do what we did. Um, I teach transformation from experience, not from just education. Uh, I decided to go back and get my bachelor's degree in psychology. I got that. And for some odd reason, again, this is one of those times when you go, I don't know why I did this, but God did it. I got my master's degree in psychology, and I do counseling with transformation as the core today that I have clients that I see both in Orlando and here in Lakeland. Uh, God is using me, and I thank him for that. But I had a lot of pain to go through to get to where I'm at today. Um, But I look back on my life, and I'm glad that I've had that because it makes me who I am today. So when I sit down with people, I know. I know what hurt is. I know what pain is. I know, unfortunately, what sin is. But God's forgiven me. He's empowered me. Um, And that's kind of my testimony and what transformation does. He took me from a 12, 13-year-old boy that was hurting to a 52-year-old man today that is serving him with grace, his power, and forgiveness. And I didn't get into forgiveness at all, but forgiveness is very key to all of this story. It's me being able to forgive myself even. But that was because of what God has done in me, not because of what I'm doing. 